When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Mike and Maurice's Mind Escape. Let us help you escape your mind. Welcome back to Mike Morris's Mind Escape. Uh, we are joined tonight by our buddy and friend of the show, Martin Ferretti. Um, we're going to be discussing Gnosticism and Gnosis tonight. Uh, you can check out Martin at thealchemicalmind.com, or you can check out his podcast on Apple Podcasts, and I'm sure most of the uh, podcast platforms. And uh, yeah, he's definitely worth a listen. If you have not checked it out already, go subscribe tonight. Um and if you are interested, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast for just $2 a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Um, we've got a ton of stuff up there. Uh, we just recorded one with uh, Anthony Tyler. There's a few of them that we've done with him on there now. We've got one with Rick Straussman. Uh, Rick Straussman's on there. Who else? Uh, Laura, the Megalith Hunter, just uploaded one with her. Uh, Matthew Clark on the Eleusinian Mysteries. Laird Scranton, just tons of good stuff on there. So go check that out. Also go find us on Discord if you're interested in chatting. And uh, from there, you should go to indrasweb.org, which is a social media platform we created to connect open minds. It is live. We are still working on getting in the App Store, so hold on to your hats for that one. But uh, we are working on it. And one more thing before we get started. If anybody's interested, we are going to give away a Mind Escape t-shirt at the end of October. If you are interested... All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, take a screenshot, and send it to mindescapepodcast at gmail.com, and that'll enter you to win. So look at that beauty right there. Uh, Also, we do have a new merch store. So if you are interested in just buying merch, uh, you can check out the link down below. Uh, It's our T Public store, and we've got shirts, hoodies, mugs, wall art, notebooks. There's just tons of stuff on there. Lots of cool designs, too. You can get yourself a let, hashtag Let Maurice Speak t-shirt or <laughs> the Portara Naxos. Or, there's tons of stuff on there, so go check that out. But uh, welcome back on the show, Martin. How are you? Always a treat, fellas. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Thanks nice for to be joining on. us. Yeah, nice to be on. Yeah. Actually, I enjoyed uh, the episodes with Laura uh, because uh, I was doing some research, some genealogy research, and apparently there's like a Ferretti like fortress um there's nice. a ferretti that was like a templar and built some fortress when when uh, the knights of malta were there so i told my dad we should go just to see it's like a restaurant now so uh but still be cool to go yeah That's i mean sweet. it looks beautiful on malta i would love to check it out as well. yeah. i'd like to check out that whole you know greece italy where my family's from in southern italy uh actually i think my family's from calabria but there's a town there that's where crotone i think that's where uh 
the Pythagoreans had their ascetic mm. cult back in the day. So I'd like to maybe head into that region, you know, so. Yeah, uh, you might have some uh, apostolic secession from the Pythagoreans. <laughs> you never know. Um, but yeah, so tonight I thought we'd talk about something you discuss a lot on your show, uh, which is Gnosis yeah. and Gnosticism and just, uh, you know, talk a little bit about the history of it and um, how some of these ideas evolved and where where people are at on them these days. So uh, how did you get interested in like the topic of, you know, Gnosticism or Gnosis? So I, I, I tend to hop from uh, from east to west. And so when I uh, decided to leave the, the church that I was raised in and went pretty deep into into Buddhism, um, out of the blue, somehow, uh, I can't remember if it was in actual philosophy class or if somebody had mentioned the book to me, um, but somebody had given me a copy of the Gnostic Bible, uh, which is, uh, I don't even know if it's in print anymore. It might be, uh, but it's a rather lengthy tome. It's got uh, a lot of the stuff that you find in uh, the Nakamadi library. There's a collected edition of that. Uh, but also some of the things that you don't have on there. Um, and actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I keep this everywhere I go. This is with me. Um, Wait, hold that so, up again. I have, I think, the screen. Yeah, sure. Nice. Nakamadi scriptures. It's, Anybody uh, doesn't know what Nakamadi? Yeah, it, they were found. Uh, some early Christian texts and some Gnostic texts were found in 1945 in Egypt. Yep. So. Definitely an interesting uh, component of this tale. Yeah, and there's, um, you know, some of the translations took quite a long time to come out. Um, I think for, for a few decades, we only had uh, maybe half a dozen texts. Uh, and there's still even new ones coming up now. I think, uh, you know, one of the more famous ones, probably because it was, uh, you know, like cover of National Geographic and um, dealt with a topic that maybe uh, some we'll say hardcore Christians maybe don't want to deal with was the gospel of Judas. Uh, that was, I think it came out in 06 and, uh, every, every few years you get some inkling of some new text that's translated or they find pieces of some other texts, um, that we didn't have like a, a full piece of text on. Right. Mm. Um, so like this one called the three Stellas, for example, that, it's like impossible to read because there's so much missing out of the text, right? Right. Uh, so you might get like some verbs and nouns, and maybe you can piece the message, um, but at that point, it's not something that you can do. Like for example, you can never teach it in like a sermon, right? Uh, maybe if you were to do it on on a philosophy podcast like my own, you can maybe dive into it a little bit. Um, but in terms of you know getting people to understand it and want to read it, um, it'd be almost impossible, right? Because not only is the the language esoteric, because as a Gnostic, you're kind of uh, seeking this the secret knowledge, but uh, you know by by not having a full story, it's it's pretty difficult. Um, yeah, so so I was given th that book, and uh, I I went pretty deep into Gnosticism for several years. Um, never never quite going back into my Christian roots, really. Uh, so I was still kind of uh, disowning a lot of that stuff. Uh, but I, I mean, I was enthralled by the, the cosmology and the, the mythology of a lot of the Gnostic sects. Uh, in fact, you know, I named my daughter Zoe because of my interest in Gnosticism. 
Uh, Zoe is a central character in, in the for the Gnostics, and um, it just it, it means life, right? And so, uh, when my daughter was born, I I automatically knew that's that's what I had to name her. And uh, so, it, you know, it's been a journey for for many years, right? So Zoe is eleven now. Um, I, I still I don't consider myself a Gnostic. I don't believe there's such a thing, and we can get into that a little bit. But uh, I think there's a lot of really interesting philosophy in those texts and a lot of interesting history that arises as a result of the interplay between what is today considered Gnostics and what would be considered more of the, the Catholic Church, right? The, the orthodoxy. So, well, yeah, yeah let's, let's get into a little bit of the basics and where it comes from. Uh, First of all, there's a guy, I think, in the 17th century that actually coined the term Gnosticism. It's not like it was known as that throughout history. Uh, but the word comes from Gnosticos, which is means having knowledge in ancient Greece. And uh, Plato used it as like having like a knowledge or like a personal experience through, you know, gaining knowledge through personal experience, whether it be spiritual or some sort of uh, knowledge quest type seeking um, uh, thing. But... Uh, so that's kind of where it comes from, and I think the influence of where we start to learn about it is actually what is it? Ire, um, Irenaeus uh, was the second century. Irenaeus, yeah. Irenaeus, yeah. It's first or second century A.D., and he was actually a he called the you know the Gnostics heretics because it was Gnosticism. Their belief is that. We are kind of like an imperfect creation from an imperfect creator, and there is a true God, but that the God that we know of from most of you know the Abrahamic religions is not the one true God. Yes, so I, I want to make a clear point uh, with what you said because you know the the saying always goes, and I know Anthony he probably used it last night when you guys recorded, but he he loves using it. Uh, so, you know, history is written by the victors, right? And we were talking so, about that the other day, actually. Yeah, he, Maurice he, brought it up two episodes ago, actually. That's true right. On that. It's, well, and, and you know, it's true, <laughs> and and it's particularly true when it comes to the Gnostics. Um, you know, there there is no Gnostic religion, right? Uh, Gnosticism is really just a a kind of catch-all term for a very diverse group of people. Um, in, in a very large geographic area. So, uh, you know, you have Gnostics in Greece, you have Gnostics in the Near East, you have Gnostics in the Far East, and anywhere in between. Uh, generally, when we talk about Gnostics in the modern sense, it is kind of a an offshoot of Christianity, or maybe even an earlier version of Christianity, depending on uh, how you want to read the text and, and what text you look at. Um, but there's no no group of Gnostics, right? So you had people like the Sethians, the Valentinians, the Thomasines, like all kinds of groups that uh, that strived for this secret knowledge. Um, and so a lot of the texts sometimes reference things like, you know, these are the secret sayings that were given by Jesus, right? That's how the, the Gospel of Thomas starts, or the yeah, Thomas starts, um, where you're transcribing secret knowledge from one person to another, right? Um, it's not like an orthodoxy where knowledge is handed from the top down, where you have, uh, you know, priests and, you know, whatever else, apostles, anything else. Um, but everyone's kind of a brother, right? And that you find that in the core teachings of, of Jesus. 
And so knowledge is transmitted through direct personal experience uh, from one person to the other. Now, yes, there would be people that would be maybe in charge of a, a community, let's say. Um, but in terms of having someone be above somebody else, not so much as you see in the orthodoxy. But that's and, the point, and that right? Plays, yeah, well, of course. And that plays a, ro a large role in what you're saying about the church fathers. Uh, all the church fathers would tell you that the Gnostics are heretics. Um, number one, that's why they use this catch-all term, right? Because it, it really means nothing, right? It's like when you watch, uh, when you see World War II propaganda, right? Um, and you see humans, you know, defaced and, and made to look like monkeys or any kind of other, like a demon or something, right? Um, it, it dehumanizes people. And so you kind of like, ah, these people aren't really my people, right? My people believe this, your people believe that, your people are wrong, my people are right. Um, you know, story of humanity. And so the church fathers often would use a term uh, like Gnosticoi uh, to, to describe these people, uh, but it really didn't mean anything, right? Um, what's interesting, though, is a lot of the, the things that we now consider to be kind of core Christian values, uh, for example, the, the divinity of Jesus, are, are things that come from the Gnostic sects. Uh, you know, before, before the Gnostics, there was no real way to uh, know, understand who Jesus was, right? For some people, he was just a person. For some, he was a rabbi. For some, he was a prophet. For some, he was the Messiah. For some, he was literally God. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, much later, fourth century, when some of these things start getting established uh that uh that we get kind of what we believe today uh in in the christian world and but that idea came i, I would say in large part from the valentinians um because gnostics regardless of the sect often have this very often very convoluted cosmology of the universe right so you touched upon this idea that god didn't actually create the world um and, you know, that leads to some fallacies where a lot of folks feel like the Gnostics were dualist. And, you know, maybe on paper it seems that way. I don't know how true that is in, in actuality. Yeah, I mean, I, didn't, uh, I never thought of Because we just don't know. That, yeah, I never thought of it in that terms. I just, the way I interpret it. No, I'm not talking it, about you. I'm talking about in I know. terms of, you know, people that study this kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just saying I think that the way I've interpreted it at least is that there is this higher being this energy or whatever it is and some other being that thought you know that's the way i interpret it, is this the yaldwa oath or this demiurge created the world i mean I, there's like a whole thing it goes into with sophia who's this the sacred mm -hmm. feminine emanating without its male counterpart which would have been christ creating yaldwa oath yaldwa oath created the world that's what most people know as yahweh um, and Gnosticism seems to be some sort of like influence or, uh, or it's been influenced by Judaism, Zoroastrianism, and, uh, like Plato's theory of forms kind of like all mixed into one. Well, actually, and funny enough, I mean, there's excerpts of the Republic in the Nakamadi text. So, yeah. uh, you know, that should tell you quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the cosmology is interesting. So you do have... A, an ultimate God, right? A, a divine being, a source. 
that God is kind of a, a three-part God. Um, really, it's kind of a, almost an infinite-part God, but this tripartite God. Um, and, and in essence, a lot of that is taken from Hermeticism. So really, this, this ultimate God entity is kind of like father, mother, and son. Um, and so the, the divine feminine really is the Barbello, uh, not, not Sophia. Sophia is kind of an emanation that comes out uh, from this ultimate divinity um, into different aeons. And so the aeons are kind of aspects of the universe, right? So you would have like mind or forethought. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those kind of things are the eons. And, and Sophia is one of these eons, right? Wisdom. Um, the interesting thing is because the ultimate source is male and female, um, all the the aeons that emanate, all these different aspects of the universe are all also male and female. Um, not male and female in that, you know, they have different genitalia or, you know, breasts or whatever, uh, but in terms of the type of energy that they emanate out of themselves. Um, you know, you, you guys know I love language, and so you, you don't see this in something like English, but in a romance language where you would have uh, words that uh, dictate a gender based on, you know, for example, in Spanish, if you end an O, it's a masculine uh, noun. If it's an A, it's a feminine noun. For the most part, not always. Um, it, it's the same kind of thing, right? So these basic ideas that have male qualities or female qualities, right? Like um, if you go into uh, maybe magical circles, kind of left hand versus right hand paths. And, uh, and that's how the emanations come about. So Sophia, in her infinite wisdom, because she is the embodiment of wisdom, uh, decides that, uh, you know, she she came from this source. And so she must also have the ability to create like the source. Um, And so she decides not to discuss this with her partner, her male counterpart, uh, and simply creates life out of her own self. Uh, The problem with this, of course, is that it goes counter to how the universe is supposed to work, I guess, uh, because you don't have the balance of male and female. And as a result, she gives birth to the Demiurge, which is a platonic character. Uh, The term is straight out of Plato. And uh, the Demiurge is kind of this, like, disfigured serpent with a lion's head. Yeah, you can Uh, find an image on, like, Wikipedia. It's like a... Yeah. Yeah, it's like a cross between a few things. Yeah. Like a lion, uh, serpent, something, a face. And and so because Sophia gave birth to this figure uh, without the full knowledge of creation, uh, simply out of her own self-sufficient knowledge, I guess, um, the Demiurge isn't perfect. Obviously, by his symbolism, right, with the snake at the, the lion's head, uh, you can kind of see that he's kind of a, an ugly-looking guy. Um, but he's also very uh, conceited and thinks he knows everything. And so he decides he will also create uh, out of himself, by himself, uh, and, and brings out these archons that emanate from him. And the archons are not always negative aspects of the universe, but uh, but they do tend to reflect more material aspects of the universe. Uh, whereas the Bethos, the, the divine source, is uh, emanating more philosophical concepts. The the demiurge emanates physical concepts, and so the material world is born out of uh, the demiurge and the archons. 
and and their purpose is simply to create beings basically that worship them as ultimate source um now as Sophia sees all this she kind of gets weirded out she realizes her mistake and she goes to the source and apologizes and uh and so source kind of sends part of himself in christ in that essence uh to kind of rectify the wrongs to sophia uh but you know of course that takes a, a long period of time so you have a a succession of like mirror mythologies going on uh with the suffering of uh sophia going down into her daughter zoe um who at one point is raped by the demiurge um that suffering moves into physicality in terms of Eve. And so that's why Eve has to bear the brunt of all these things. And and when you have this core philosophy and understanding of the female, the divine feminine, as as being a part of the divine, but having to um, kind of reunite itself with, with wholeness, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. uh, you get a, a very different re- perspective on the role of women in your belief system. Uh, and that becomes pretty obvious in, in texts like uh, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, right? Uh, she plays a big role in it. And uh, it's, yeah, is that the one where uh, Mary in that script or that text, uh, I think that's from Nag Hammadi too, correct? That yeah. one where they talk about how Mary uh, actually plays a more important role in all the other uh apostles are basically jealous of her and her connection to Jesus and everything. Which, I mean, if you, if you start diving really deep into the, like a linguistic understanding of this, it makes sense, right? So Mary is Mary of Magdalene. Uh, Magdala is kind of uh, the pillars to uh, enter a city or oftentimes a temple. Uh, And so as a result of just simply her name, she is the entryway into the fullness of Christ, right? And so certain sects of, of Gnostics would see Mary Magdalene as having a prominent role, um, just like some see Judas as having a prominent role, right? If Judas hadn't done what he did, then Christ couldn't accomplish his goal of dying for our sins, right? Uh, right. Most Christians, Gnostics didn't believe in sin or repentance, um, but there had been to be... salvation, a... though, right? I think salvation uh, is one of the... In, in essence, um, so basically, um, you can achieve a certain point. I mean, you know, there's such a varied number of sects that it's hard to say. Well, this is what Nazis believe. Exactly. Um, some some would say yes. Um, it just depends on how much uh, the the sect emphasizes the the nature of the physical body, right? So in in medieval times, you have sects like the Cathars that rose up. And they believed that the body was completely evil, right? Because the Demiurge created it. Hmm. And the Demiurge simply it wants to fool us from attaining our true nature. Um, and so they, you know, they had marriage, kind of. Um, but, you know, they didn't have sex. They didn't have kids. Uh, and, of course, you know, how do you disseminate a belief system if you have nobody to bring on to disseminate it with, Right. Um, unless you're just converting people all the time to your belief system. Um, aside from, you know, crusades that were done to to eradicate the group. But, uh, you know, they didn't believe in, in the sacraments, for example, right? Like the only sacrament that they had was the consolamentum. 
which is more like a, a laying on hands by people that are advanced in this secret esoteric knowledge, right? That they teach. Well, yeah, I think it was, the, uh, what, what did I read? It's like Gnostics considered the principal element of salvation to be direct knowledge of the supreme divinity mm -hmm. in the form of mystical or esoteric uh, insights. And, and again, depends on the sect, right? Um, I think for, for a large number of, of these people, um, there was maybe no name for it at that point. But uh, when Dionysus uh, begins doing his writing, uh, pseudo-Dionysus, um, he, he brings in the concept of agnosia, right? Which, if you're into Eastern philosophy, you're very familiar with, right? So it's knowledge through unknowing. Um, basically the same or similar concept as, uh, as Kensho or Satori, right, for the Buddhists. Um, where... The point is you you get to a place of knowing yourself, right? Something that comes up constantly in the Greek world. Uh, know thyself. And when you truly know thyself, then you don't need to know anything else, right? Because then you acquire the full knowledge of the universe. Um, so at that point, for the Gnostics, you would re-enter the Pleroma, right? So the Pleroma is the, the ethereal realm where ultimate souls resides. Um, and it's not like in in Orthodox Christianity where there's a heaven up in the sky somewhere and you die and you go to this place. Um, the, the Pleroma is above that, right? Because heaven would have been created by the Demiurge uh, in, in a physical universe, right? It might be some ethereal spot in the universe, but it's still within the universe. The, the Bethos lives outside of the universe, right? So if you wanted to do like a modern scientific look at this, you could do, um, you know, multiple universe theory, right? The Demiurge creates our universe, but there may be multiple Demiurges. And encompassing all this is the Bethos, hmm. um, the depths, right? So that's what it translates to. And, and that realm is beyond any physicality, right? Um, it's, uh, it would be like you know, going into some super DMT trip, I guess. Uh, that would be a comparison maybe to to what the pleroma is, uh, where you're beyond concept, right? There's no right or wrong or left or right or anything like that. Um, everything exists as is, and you simply view it as is and experience it as is. Um, and, and that's ultimately what a lot of the Gnostics are trying to do is get away from dogma. Uh, you know, although, of course, there's always people trying to gain power through dogma. So, you know, these things happen. Um, but ultimately, for, for the Gnostics, they don't need hierarchy in a church. They don't even need church buildings. Right. right? And, and you, you even see this in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus never says anything about build a, build a church, right? For, for Jesus, the church is, is the body of, of Christ, right? A, a group of people communing and and talking about these things and sharing knowledge this seems to be like the fur like them being labeled heretical they seem like a people that were more well-read you know they looked into other traditions and religions and things like that and maybe took some of the ideas as we mentioned the different influences before but then you know you have uh Irenaeus uh talking about how they're heretics and everything like that so does that mm -hmm. you know would that point to the fact that then that's the first instance of the church imposing its control on the idea of what Christianity actually is? Because they're, they're, they're putting their foot down and they're saying, okay, 
you do need a conduit to God and we're, you know, the priests, the, the, uh, uh, you know, the popes, whatever are all, you know what I'm saying? Are all the, those conduits in between is where Gnostics would probably say, you don't need that. You can have direct com- you know, knowledge or communion with this God or whatever. Um, I mean, in some senses, yes. Um, you you got to remember, though, a lot of the, the Gnostic texts can be dated to earlier than um, things we consider to be Orthodox texts. Uh, maybe sometimes not that much earlier. Uh, and, it, and it is tough. Well, some of them I mean, do have hermetic. Yeah. They did find like some hermetic texts in the Nagamati. And the thing is that there there are Gnostic texts that predate christianity right right so obviously it's not purely a christian thing uh but you know there's there's a lot of influx in in this world right we think that just because they didn't have airplanes and automobiles they're not traveling that's not but i mean i guess my point wasn't that that's when it popped up but other than that's Mm -hmm. when you start to see them being labeled as something else other than part of this other thing, right? Like uh, that's what I'm saying. That's where yeah. I see a divergence in Christianity where Christians are saying, that's not us. This is us over here. That's you. It's wrong. And you know, that's kind of what I was trying to highlight there. Yes. But I don't think you see that really until probably Athanasius. Uh, so that would be like late third century, um, early fourth century. So a good couple um, hundred years yeah. after you, yeah, Several hundred years yeah. after, yeah. So, like, you know, Athanasius, you mentioned uh, um, uh, Clement, and, you know, all these church fathers. That That's much later, right? That's why you don't have things like the Council of Nicaea until much later. Um, because when when these sects start popping up, um, you do have this thing buying for power, right? Rome wasn't always the seat of the Orthodox Church, right? Uh, there was a, a very long, drawn-out battle uh, for where the seat would be between Alexandria and Rome. Um, and that was part of the council, right? And and the main argument that ended up with Rome being chosen as the seat of the church was this idea of, is Christ God or is Christ man, right? Hmm. Is it just Jesus or is he part of God or is he God? Um, and I think that's something that you you even see Christians today kind of wondering about, right, between different denominations, um, Wasn't Alexandria kind of like one of the main platforms for Gnosticism too? But you know, like that was like one of the main places where obviously um, you have a lot of learning and multicultural things happening because of Alexander the Great and the library at Alexandria and everything. So, I mean, Alexandria would have been like the ancient world's New York City, right? Right. There's mm-hmm. uh, every race, every color, every religion, every language. That's all in Alexandria. And so, of course, when you have a place that's so inclusive, uh, let me just say, doesn't necessarily mean everyone liked each other uh, and that they didn't fight each other. But where you where you can get as much knowledge as you want, uh, whenever you want, if you want to partake in it, uh, then, yeah, of course, you're going to have a larger movement, a larger progression in in philosophy and various other sciences. And that's very obvious by uh, the amount of people that studied in Alexandria. Right. If you if you go and start looking at names that you recognize from science and philosophy, uh, you know, 95 percent of them, if they lived in this time period, they studied or had some place in Alexandria where they taught something. 
that's just where you had to be. Um, and that's because of the rules that Alexandria had in place in terms of um, confiscating goods from from ships, from merchant ships, right? Um, so any ship that uh, that ported Alexandria, if they had any kind of text on on the ship, the text was confiscated, sent to uh, you know the library at that point. Um, it would be uh, they would keep the original, they would make a copy, and you would receive a copy back. But the the original remained in Alexandria. Uh, and that's why you had so many texts there. Um, and and it's this that allowed for such a large growth of Alexandria as a, you know, a civilization center. Um, but yes, you know, that always leads down to greed because, you know, you have these people in Rome that are part of the empire that say, well, hey, you know, Paul was here first. We should we should have the power here. Right. We have direct apostolic secession. Uh, not not those guys in Alexandria, uh, and and it just comes down to the same everywhere you go, right? You see this with uh, with Muslims, uh, with the the Shia and the um, the other groups. But uh, yeah, I mean Alexandria was the place to be. If there was one place in history, that's that's where I would go. Um, in particular, to see how maybe correct or incorrectly we've gotten some of the history, you know, uh, I think that'd be fascinating to see. And and because it's in such a central place, uh, you do have a lot of influence from different religions, right? So Hermetic influence on on the Gnostics is is obvious. Platonic influence is obvious. Um, you know there were Buddhist monks traveling the Greek and and Roman Empire. People don't know that, but you know the the Buddhists were there 200 BC, uh, trying to preach the gospel of the Buddha. So uh, all these ideas are floating around in in this time frame. And it's just like a, you know, like a melting pot, uh, which is, by the way, where I went to dinner tonight. It was delicious. <laughs> um, but uh, did you get the fondue? Yeah, we sure did. It was great. Yeah, yeah it's delicious. Let's, let's get into now the Adam and Eve thing, because you, on one hand, you have the main story from the Bible. You have Adam. You have Eve. Uh, God tells them not to eat the the apple of you know truth or whatever you want to call it good and evil knowledge of good and evil yeah yeah um so that's the you know i think most people know that version of it now the gnostic version is the snake that's tempting adam and eve is not actually bad but is actually the true god urging adam and eve to eat from you know the apple of truth of good and evil so that they can obtain that knowledge and then become you know as the gods or you know, have that knowledge. So I think that that's where the idea of, um, not, it's not that it's like more or better in some way, but if you think about it like that, it kind of does make sense. Like in the original version, why weren't, why were humans not supposed to have that now? Like that doesn't make any sense. We're just supposed to wander ignorantly through, you know, time and space and whatever. So mm -hmm. that's where I think there is a lucrative um, aspect to this where, you know, the God of Gnosticism wants you to have the knowledge, wants you to have those ideas and, and experience those things as opposed to like, let's say Christianity where you need a priest or a conduit and you, you, you know, you have to go, you have a go between, you know, to get to God as where you could have that firsthand knowledge if you were a Gnostic so, you know, regardless of the sect, the, the thing you have to remember is um, 
the Gnostics were the first hippies and they were the first conspiracy theorists. Okay. And it, it, it was pretty obvious, right? If you, if you spend just a few minutes of your time thinking through some of the things that are taught in, in this example, the old Testament, right? Um, so we're not picking on the old Testament, but we're talking about Gnostic Christians. Uh, you know, they're, they're growing up and they're saying, well, you know, why would God tell me uh, not to worship any of the gods because there's no other gods before me, right? If there's no other gods before God, then why would he have to tell me that, right? right. That should be obvious, right? Yeah, so either there are more gods or you're not the one true God, right? And so a lot of them realize that, okay, there could be other gods. Um, none of them are the one true God. So let's figure out what the one true God is. Uh, and how do we do that? Well, we do that through knowing ourselves and seeing what is actually true and what's not true. Um, you know, the, the the story of the garden is actually really interesting. And, and I mean, you hit it pretty much dead on. Um, the, the one thing that is missing in some of the interpretations, um, and I think it shows up in the secret book of John, uh, is is why the Demiurge says that, right? Uh, because it's not just the Demiurge, right? He works in tandem with all the archons. Um, and that's why he says, you know, we created man in our image, right? Because it's not just in the Demiurge's image, but in all the archons as well. Right. And and they they seek to, they, they just want somebody to worship them, right? Because they feel they're so important that somebody must feel that they're important. Um, they have a Napoleon complex, I guess you could say. Just like uh, my dad. But, <laughs> oh, boom! Got him. He doesn't watch, so I'll I don't have to make worry. a clip. Send yeah. it his way. <laughs> Lucky you. He's yeah, attacking. don't send him that clip. Uh, but uh, you know, part of this happens when 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 Sophia kind of pleads with a demiurge to like make him stop doing what he's doing, and and she tells him about the Bethos, and he's like, "Well, crap! Uh, so I'm not the one true God." Uh, but I, I tell everybody that I am and I have all this power. So, like, I need to make it appear that I am. Right. Hmm. Uh, and so that's why he tells them not to eat of this, because he, he has a conversation with the archons. We have to tell them that this is the case. Otherwise, they're going to know that they're just as powerful as us. Right. They also are God. Um, and, you know, that's that's a very. Yeah, you know, we talk about Vedanta all the time, right? Every time I'm on, I bring up Vedanta, um, but that's very much an, an Eastern thing, um, and you see that ultimately at the core of of Hindu philosophy too, right? In in Hindu philosophy, everyone thinks that Hinduism is this polytheistic religion because there are thousands of gods, right? Uh, and that might be true, but ultimately there is only one God, right? The Brahman, hmm. and 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 everything emanates out of Brahman. And everything is just a manifestation of an aspect of Brahman. Well, I was going to say that's um, our buddy, and we, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but our buddy studies Vedanta. Shout out to Chris. Mm-hmm. He explained it as all the terms having to do with like, you know, Vedanta and the separation of things. It actually is only one thing, but they mm-hmm. had to create these terms so that people would understand kind of what's going on. Because it's hard to understand if you don't have that context. You got to dumb it down. You know, I was uh, somebody asked me at work uh, yesterday about the tattoo I have on my forearm. Right. So I have a Penrose triangle on my forearm uh, and I got it because I had it in a trip that I had. 
Um, and so I said, well, crap, I need to get this. And and so she asked me about it and like, what am I gonna say, right? Like I was I was tripping on shrooms hmm. and uh, you know, Horace came to me and set the symbol on my arm. Like she's gonna think I'm nuts, right? Hmm. Um, so I, I kind of just explained kind of uh, what the meaning of it is sort of, you know, a simple meaning. Right. Uh, and just mentioned like impossible objects. And, and that was a mistake because I figured by mentioning impossible objects, it would be just a simple conversation. Um, but you know, she couldn't understand impossible objects, right? Um, so it, it's the same with these stories, right? You always have to tell these kind of stories in allegory. Um, and that's where the gnosis aspect comes around, right? It's a secret esoteric knowledge, right? Gnosis isn't just knowledge, right? In, in English, we have, you know, you have knowledge and wisdom, but they seem somewhat separate, right? And this is why I love Greek, because in Greek you can just add suffixes or prefixes to words, and you can have like a billion variations of any particular concept to denote specific aspects of it, right? Right. Um, you know, in, in Spanish you have like, in many languages, you have two verbs to be, right? Uh, one being like a temporary being and one being a, a permanent being, right? Uh, so your name, would be with one version of the verb. And, you know, if you feel something, that's a temporary being, so it's a different verb. Uh, but they both mean to be. Uh, and, and the same is with Greek, right? There's, I mean, last I counted, it was like 26 different types of knowledge, right? Um, all stemming from this GNO uh, root word. Well, yeah, and, was there like four different words for love in Greek too? Yeah, and I mean, you have you can express that in English, but you know it takes a sentence, right? right. Brotherly love, parently love, right. uh, romantic love, lust, whatever, right? Uh, whereas in Greek, they all stem from this root, and so you know what the root concept is, and you can kind of gather the meaning as a result. Um, so you know, dumbing down concepts sometimes works very well, but oftentimes it makes things more complicated, uh, and I think you see that in in a lot of modern languages, and maybe that's part of some of the issues we have uh, socially nowadays. Um, not completely, but you know, I, I love studying language, and so I always look at the the linguistic aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, and actually, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's a lot of people I know. Like I watch it on Twitter. There's a lot of people that make the connection in the UFO stuff to like archons being gray aliens or something along those lines or that gray archetype. Uh, yeah. So again, you know, the Gnostics were the first conspiracy theorists. Yeah. Um, and, and there's been some very smart people that uh, have appropriated Gnostic mythology uh, to their own uh, ends and means, right? Uh, I'm not saying these people... Uh, never experienced an encounter with an archon or anything like that. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't there. If they say they right. did, cool. Right. Um, I think but, it's just a, uh, it's it's just like a misinterpretation or like people like looking to connect dots that maybe aren't necessarily there. You know, like what? Because yeah. there's there's this old like they want to uncover the mystery, right? So you go back like what's the ancient stuff? Like you know what are these? you know, what does the ancient knowledge have to say about this? Oh, this could fit with this kind of a thing. You know, this could be this. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those things that I think gets misinterpreted, especially with this specifically. You know, we, we have such uh, vast minds and imaginations 
uh, or potentially. Yeah, we want to tell stories, uh, you know. You, you've seen but, them. Yeah, but the thing is, most people don't even make up stories, right? They just retell the same story. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so that's why you need to – you call back to the Gnostic myth because it's cool and people don't know about it, right? And so people start saying, oh, like where did this come from, right? Let me, let me study Gnosticism. Oh, yeah, these guys, they knew about Archons 2,000 years ago, right. right? So they've been in control of the world for 2,000 years. Maybe, or maybe you're just appropriating somebody else's, you know, interesting story, right? We appropriate stories all the time. Stories change meaning all the time, right? Uh, the story of, of Jesus in terms of the mythology isn't a new story. Uh, it's a rehash of Dionysus and, you know, God knows how many other ones. Cyrus, I mean, you can go on. You can go back tens of thousands of years and, and it's there. So... Um, well, you I was going to say, don't it, you think that the, the whole idea of God as a man in the sky is kind of what you're saying is like it's like a dumbed down concept yeah. so people can kind of grasp their head around that? Like, you know, everyone is, doesn't have the biggest IQ. So if you start explaining to them <laughs> quantum physics or like energy in that kind of regard, they're not going to grasp that. If you say, OK, there's a there's an all knowing big, big bearded man in the sky. It's a lot easier to kind of attach that to to, to a god yes yes and that's why usually if somebody asks me if i believe in god i just say yes and if they want me to explain it um i just said god is everywhere and i just leave it at that right because if i go any deeper like i'll just lose everybody right right um and, and that's why i talk about that kind of stuff in my podcast and not in public right for one i don't like talking politics uh, or religion in general in public, because we all know how that goes. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, like, you know, I don't care. Like, you can worship whatever God you want, right? Um, my daughter's talking about she she uh, worship is uh, the, the Roman gods or something now, right? Like, that's her thing, because they're doing you know, ancient or ancient religions in school. Uh, so she did a project on uh, on Osiris, which was very interesting. Um, they they did the Greek gods, the Roman gods, all kinds of stuff. And now she loves like Athena and, and Zeus and those guys. Uh, so she's like, well, you know, that's what I believe in. And, you know, that's fine, right? To me, it doesn't matter, right? Because to me, whether you worship Jesus or Zeus or Buddha or, you know, Lucifer or whoever, um, to me, it's all the same God, right? It's just a different manifestation, a different aspect of of that ultimate reality. Um, so you can worship however you want, whoever you want. It, it makes no difference to me. Uh, to me, we worship the same God. Whether you believe that or not is up to you, right? Uh, but that's what I believe. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I was asked, this is what Maurice and I were fighting about the other night. You know, I said, where are these gods? You know, like where... I, I was listening last night. Yeah. Where, where did they come from? Where are, you know, like, where are these gods? And I mean, I have my take, which is that they come from altered states of consciousness, whether it be entheogens and psychedelics or meditation, deep prayer, or, you know, I don't know, whatever, however you get to that place, sleep paralysis or uh, lucid dreaming, whatever. Uh, and his take is that, you know, well, I mean, it's it's not necessarily his, but almost like, you know, we have Laird Scranton, he talks about these shifts and like sometimes... Uh, you have these golden age periods or like the yuga cycles and sometimes we're closer to this knowledge or these points in time where we're closer to some sort of metaphysical being or structure or something 
Uh, I mean, I mean, what's your take on that? I mean, I, my personal thing is, is that I think that now we just know so much that we can kind of move beyond that. And that's not to say there isn't something greater than us other than the things that have been put forth in the past, um, might just have been that interpretations of the past. And we need to update those interpretations. Um, I mean, I think you're actually both correct. I was actually going to text you after Ooh, I heard Maurice talk. Should have got him night. on here and really, like, really <laughs> went crazy. Yeah, I, I, I was going to shoot you a text, and I was like, "Nah, it's, I'm sure it'll come up tomorrow when we chat." Um, no, I, th- I think you, you guys are actually both right, uh, and that might seem like a cop out answer, but again, to me, it's not. Uh, to me, you guys are both talking about the same thing, uh, but coming from different angles, right? So Maurice is is super woke, Maurice, right? And so oh. he's. <laughs> he's looking at it in a more spiritual sense uh and and mike you've kind of gone much more into the logical side uh as of late and i know you you go back and forth right because i've been a listener for a long time so I, i've seen you go back and forth uh right now you're at one extreme um i, I don't think you're saying anything different than maurice's right um can i make yes. an argument for my point though real quick before you go any further yeah, of course when when you say that, I guess I don't think I'm better than Maurice. I don't have any better ideas, you know, per se. Like I don't like look down upon what he's saying or thinking or whatever. I would just point out that I've read so many different people's takes on these topics, like probably most people's takes, like credible ones that or scientific papers or books or whatever. The the top ones on all these topics where I put together an idea and and realize that those are just people too. That's their interpretations. Mm -hmm. So I still take my own interpretations from those interpretations, but it's like what works best for me. I guess then what we're saying is either we know nothing and you could go, you know, like I know that I know nothing, you know, go back to ancient Greece Mm -hmm. or Socrates. So you could say that, or you can say we have an idea because like, for instance, science, like we know science works. We're talking through technology that was created by science. If it was, if it was flawed in some way, it wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. So I guess that that's just my logical mind going to that. But I'm just pointing out that um, either I, we, we, none of us are right or one of us is onto something. And I'm not necessarily like saying again that it's me, but I will say that I, he would even admit I put in way more time and research into these things. So. Uh, so so I will say I, I, I accept your argument. Um, and if that's the way you want to go about it, that's up to you. Right. Um, I, I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm not saying Maurice is wrong. I'm not saying either of you're right. I'm saying you're both equally correct. Right. But you're coming at it from different perspectives. So to look at your technology example, if we were, you know, 2000 years ago. OK, let's say there actually was a man named Jesus who turned water into wine. Right. So if I'm at this feast and I see this man, Jesus, turning water into wine, I'm going to say, of course, I believe in Jesus. This man just turned water into wine. Nobody has ever done that before. Right. Right. So this is the same argument that you're presenting in terms of technology. We know that science, there must be something to science because here we are with all this cool, fancy stuff. You can say the same argument in terms of religion. Right. Um, You can say, well, I know that religion works. However, you want to, you know, define religion. I know that's that's probably very personal. Right. Um, but I know that religion works. Here, I'll give you an example for me. There is no doubt in my mind that God exists. Okay. There is nothing that anybody could say to me to prove me otherwise. 
because of the direct personal experiences that I've had, uh, whether chemically induced or you know through meditation or anything else, um, I feel like I have experienced that, right? And and to me, it was very profound. So I mean, you can't tell me that my experience wasn't true, just like I can tell you that the benefits of science aren't true, right? Both are equally true. One for you, one for me. But I agree, science well, I, is I, important. I, I'm now, not denying the, the gnosis, though. That's the difference. Like I'm not denying his gnosis. I'm just saying that, um, you, you everything is always evolving. So, mm-hmm. for me, that's my been my philosophy of the last year and a half, two years, is that I'm going to keep evolving with these ideas. I'm not going to slow down. Because if I put all my eggs sure. in one basket and say, for sure this exists or for sure that exists, I think it's going to slow my knowledge quest down. And it's going to, you know, it's going to make me into somebody like you see out there. Somebody wrote a book and then 20 years goes by and they're still defending that same book. They haven't evolved any sort of thought or context or anything. Um, so I guess that that's what, for me, that's what I'm afraid of. And I think that if you make a stand or take a stand sometimes, yeah, it might look lucrative in in the short term, but, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying about what you believe. Like you for sure yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah. know that there's a God. I'm not arguing that that's fine. What I'm saying is if you said, I know that there's a God and then this is who it is. And this is why I think that then, <laughs> then I would start to push back a little. So I, I guess Even that, I would push back. Yeah. That's where I think that's where I change my tune on that. It's not that I don't believe that there's something more. It's that, the idea that somebody knows for sure what that something more is, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and nobody does, right? Just like religion isn't perfect, philosophy is not perfect, science is not perfect, right? Uh, there's a, a fantastic movie that you know delves directly into the topic of tonight. Uh, maybe not directly with the Gnostics, but it is the time period. It is in Alexandria, um, and it, it deals a lot with the power play between – uh, orthodoxy and and people like the Gnostics, uh, called Agora. I've talked about it on my podcast before. Uh, it's a Rachel Weiss movie, um, and it takes place, I think, at the end of the the two nineties ish. I can't remember, uh, but it's about a oh, what's her name, Hippolyta of Alexandria, mm-hmm. um, and and her struggles as a woman teaching. You know, She's the first woman classes. philosopher, right? Yes, yes. Um, and, and through much of the movie, she's trying to figure out um, why there is something wrong with, I think it's the orbit of Mercury. Um, and she's trying to use, you know, Pythagorean math and all kinds of different ways of, of looking at orbits, um, but can, can never figure it out until the end, uh, after she's exiled from Alexandria, uh, when basically the, the Pope of Alexandria uh, which there were multiple popes at the time, uh, when the Pope of Alexandria basically uh, kills everybody at this this temple. Um, it's it's a hermetic temple, but they teach philosophy, um, and it's open to basically you know middle middle um, class and, and wealthy uh, people of the empire. And so she's on this boat and figures out uh, this this motion thing uh, by dropping. I think this actually is uh, one of the examples shown for like relativity. Uh, drops a rock uh, while the the ship is moving, and the rock falls straight down, right? And how could that be if the boat mm-hmm. is moving? It should be you know falling at an angle. Um, and uses this to determine that the reason why uh, the orbits are wrong is that the orbit is kind of slanted and not just a circle going around. Um, all this to illustrate that. You can have a method of acquiring knowledge 
or proving a system to be true. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that will always prove the system to be true. Uh, so the model that they had at the time, you know, people think that they thought the earth was flat and all this, that, that might be true in some places. Um, there were very advanced models of, you know, around the earth and, and the universe where the sun, the sun was at the center of the universe. Um, you notice I said universe, not just solar system. Um, and, and those models were basically just circles, right? But if you start doing ovals, ellipses, you start doing slanted orbits, um, you get much more interesting and complicated mathematics, which didn't exist, right? So you have to create it. Um, so the the model works for the time that you're in with the knowledge that you have, with your understanding of the universe. And, and as your understanding expands, your methodology has to also expand, right? So, you know, the model that they had then didn't work. It was, you know, tweaked a little bit and it was closer to reality, right? But not quite there yet, right? And all I'm saying is that you're right. Technology has gotten us to a place that is arguably great, arguably maybe not so great, right? Depending on your outlook on life. Sure. Uh, but in, in 50 years, in 100 years, in 500, in 1,000, in 10,000, uh, that model should also progress, right? Uh, unless there's some cataclysm. Right, whatever that might be. Um, well, I told Maurice, unless a slow solar flare happens and wipes everything out. I mean, because really, I mean, if that ha- need it. if that happened, you know, as long as the knowledge is preserved or something like that, that's one thing. But if you, if that happened, I mean, we'd really be out of business in terms of what we're used to in the, this current yeah. modern day idea of technology. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually talking to my daughter about that today because uh, we started watching Foundation on Apple TV. And, you know, that's a central theme on on how they're going to save the empire. And they're creating this like colony to uh, decide what knowledge to preserve or not. And uh, and I told her about solar flares and she's like, what's that? So I explain it. She's like, you mean I can't talk to my friends on Discord anymore? Uh, (laughs) So she starts coming up with like all these ways of that she can communicate, right? So like carrier pigeons and like, you know, a bicycle or whatever. Like, I don't know. Um, back to the, back to the nitty gritty. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you know, you got to think about these things, right? Um, Cause you should never assume that anything that you feel to be true will always be true. Right. If you're stuck in that place, you end up seeing a repeat of all this history that we've had for the entirety of human civilization. Right. right? Um, there's arguments between different orthodoxies because orthodoxy exists, not because one is more right than the other, right? If the orthodoxy is willing to change, then that solves the issue altogether, right? Um, I, I've seen this a lot with like modern Catholics, right? Uh, we've had, uh, I think, I'm not a Catholic, never have been, by the way, but the the current pope is, you know, very liberal, uh, in particular when it comes to to church matters, and and that kind of bothers some people, right? So, so you got to think. Well, if if the Pope is the see of God, right? He's God's interpretation, or whatever he interprets God God's word on Earth. Uh, then whatever he says must be true, right? But then if that changes every few years, then you're implying that the will of God changes every few years as well, right? So you know, then you can go into the argument that the atheists would bring up. Well, you know. Then that means that the Pope isn't telling you what God wants you to know. Uh, the Pope is just telling you what, you know, the best of his understanding of what the world is. That's what he's giving you. Uh, and that's why every time you have a new Pope, the rules change. Uh, and, and that may be so, 
right? Uh, you can look at this in Scripture, right? That's why the Old Testament God is so different than the New Testament God. Well, what changed, right? This is what the Gnostics were looking at. What changed? Is it the same God, but he decided all of a sudden to grow a heart, right? He's no longer sending plagues and killing, you know, mass murdering people. Um, well, yeah, that's the, the Old Testament God, gods. as you mentioned before, is, you know, you should not take any other God and very vengeful. Oh, he'll, he'll attack. You know, type of a God. And then the New Testament God's very loving, very, uh, um, I don't even know, like very uh, forgiving. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, yes. you're right on the money with that. I mean, which which unfortunately gets sent down a completely different path. Right. It, it gets sent back down into this Old Testament wrathful path, right. uh, because if God is so forgiving, then why is there such emphasis in particular, you know, through the Middle Ages? Well, that's on, the people, on sin though. And repentance. Yeah, that's the well, people. Right. Exactly. Because that's the control mechanism. Hold on one second. I'm going to pause this. So yeah, uh, the the vengeful versus forgiving God of the you know the the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Yeah, and you know one of the things that the uh, the Church Fathers always brought up is uh, you know the the Gnostics are they don't have a sacrament right like they don't drink the blood of Christ and and eat his body for you know to do the sacrament they uh, they eat babies right like. We get this all the time now, right? Like elites eat babies. All right, cool. So uh, let, let's do a, a different story. Um, they 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 have like sex orgies, right? They perform sex magic. Uh, that you know maybe uh, in in one sec maybe uh, actually in a couple sex maybe, uh, but in a large part you know probably not. And and maybe some of these things were kind of misconstrued from from other systems right uh, again there's a lot of greek influence uh so it's very likely that uh, you know groups like the ophites um that worship serpents because the serpent is the the one true god right the one that brought us the knowledge um then you would have things like sex magic showing up as part of ritual um but you know for for the gnostics none of that really mattered right because the the material world is irrelevant uh there's a there's there's various reinterpretations of the commandments in in both Gnostic scripture and, and the New Testament. Um, you know, in the New Testament, something like you know, love your brother as you love yourself, um, which basically encompasses you know almost I think like nine of the ten commandments basically. Um, for the Gnostics, it was even simpler than that. It's just like don't lie and don't do what you hate, um, and like that's really powerful, right? Um, because it kind of frees you uh, from from a lot of the the moral hindrances uh, that that orthodoxy brings into life, right? Uh, you know, don't eat this on this day, or you know, you can't eat past you know sundown. Uh, you can't do work past sundown. You can't. Uh, you have to eat fish on on this particular yeah, day. Yeah, I, mean, I to... never it was growing up Catholic. The no meat on Friday during Lent was just like, what's the yeah. point of this? Uh, you know, maybe and, you know, some sort of discipline thing, but that's stupid. I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, fish, you know, he's there's... not a fish lover, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are purposes to some of these rules. Uh, but a lot of them are more like cultural than than anything else, like socioeconomic, than than actually having to do with you know what God might want you to do. Um, I think in the example I gave, 
uh, you know, Jesus is talking to the disciples and they're like, you know, um, how do you want us to pray? Like, how many times a day do we pray? Uh, should we fast? Like, you know, all these things. Because, like, it's part of Judaic law, right, to do all these things. And Jesus is like, no, I don't care, man. Just like, you know, don't be a liar. Yeah. Don't be a douche and, and do what you enjoy and, and you lead a good life, right? Um, now, you know, you can get into moral arguments here, right? Because if he says don't lie and do what you want, um, okay, well, you know, what if I want to what if I want to murder people, right? Like, is that cool, Jesus, if I just go murder people? Uh, and you said do what I want, right? Uh, or don't do what you hate. Um, I mean, maybe, right? Maybe he implies that. Or maybe it's something else, right? Because if you if you have the secret knowledge, um, then if you have this this need where you feel like murder is the thing that brings you joy, um, if you understand the secret truth, then you see that you don't need to murder because that's not part that's not an aspect of yourself that's important, right? That's that's just part of physicality, and physicality is relevant. Um, so, so when you look at a commandment like "Don't lie and don't do what you hate," it has to imply more of how you live your life to achieve your ultimate goal, right? The, the goal being to re-enter the pleroma, um, and then that makes things a little bit simpler, right? It does leave it more open to interpretation, but you know, you you have this brotherhood, right? People would meet in basements, right? Because Christianity was outlawed. Um, so people would be in basements or, you know, in alleyways, right? Just like two or three people. If you can't have, you know, a mega church, right? I don't know if you guys have them where you guys are at, but, you know, I'm in the South in the Bible Belt. So we have, you know, there's a church in every corner uh, mm -hmm. and there's some like very large stadium-like churches here, right? With thousands or tens of thousands of people, uh, multiple campuses, you know, doing things online or whatever. Um you can't do that, right, when your religion is outlawed. You have to kind of be in the background, you ha and you have to hide this knowledge, right? And, and I think that's the key to a lot of these texts, because oftentimes when, when modern minds try to read ancient texts, they read ancient texts with a modern sensibility. And you have to be able to, like, transplant yourself in time in order to understand why certain things are done a certain way. Right. And so you have to speak an allegory or you're going to get killed. Right now, you know, you could say, well, you're a Gnostic. You don't care about physicality. I mean, OK, yes, that's true. Right. And, and that's something that is discussed a lot in in you know, Taoism and Buddhism and, and Advaita and all kinds of religions um, where, you know, there's there's certain sects of monks, for example, that purposely undergo rituals that lead to their death right so you have those mummified uh buddhist monks for example uh where they just quit eating right and they just meditate and and because of the conditions of their meditation where they're doing it and things like that the, the types of things that they eat before they begin their meditation uh their bodies become mummified and so they look like they're still alive basically in meditation but they've been dead for hundreds of years right mm. uh there was uh, for a long time uh, in one of the the Muslim sects, uh, and and I think you see this also in some of the Hindu sects. There was basically like ritualized suicide, right, um, where people would get to a certain point in their journey um, as an elder, where you know they could decide um, to basically fast until they died, right. 
Um, in, in the Middle Ages, you had certain very orthodox, right? So this is not like some heretical thing. Um, orthodox monks that would enclose themselves in in usually metal, but or not metal, wooden, but oftentimes uh, stone boxes uh, in churches, right? And and some of those bodies are still there. They right? like do that to people too, like like not just uh, from as a punishment. Self- yeah, yeah. I talk about that in that Codex Gigas episode that we. Uh did how that was the punishment for the one uh uh the one monk or uh i mean whatever you want to call him uh that was yeah but see if you talk about that then is it a punishment right because people are actively pursuing this right as a way to achieve their version of enlightenment right uh in that case maybe not Right. So you can undergo some of these rituals and, and it won't make any difference. So, I mean, in some of the like we mentioned earlier, some of these teachings go or hermetic teachings that can be traced all the way back to the old kingdom in Egypt, like uh, 2600 to 2200 B.C., somewhere around there. I mean, that's a long that's some of that stuff's like super ancient. Right. So, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of influence there going all the way back. So, again, it's. It's weird now because I feel like, you know, to Maurice's point the other night when we were arguing, he thinks that, you know, everybody's losing their spirituality and religion. And, you know, we just had Anthony on uh, to record and we were talking about like aliens of the gaps and, mis- mm-hmm. you know, uh, metaphysics of the gaps and things like that. It seems like there is some sort of shift happening. And I don't think it's going to be a shift to nothing. I think the shift is waiting for something to come along to fill that, if that makes sense, like some ultimate thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, the, every time you have these shifts in perspective, um, there's always going to be a lot of inner struggle, right? Between groups, but you know, among individuals themselves. Um, And the thing is our lifespans are so short that, you know, we just, a lot of us get very anxious right you're like oh my god like what's happening the world's going to crap right politics sucks the world sucks the internet sucks twitter sucks everything sucks <laughs> um but you know though everything is a mess all as well right anthony DeMello. um er- everything might appear to suck uh but it doesn't suck that's just the way it is right now it's right. your perspective on it right uh and if you just go with it Maybe down the line, you might see a change, right? Or maybe you won't, right? Maybe for the rest of your life, you live in this anxiety. Uh, are you okay with that, right? So you have to figure out how you want to deal with the anxiety, right? The anxiety is just a passing moment. Uh, whether you want to realize it or not is up to you, right? So I choose to not live in anxiety. Many people love to live in anxiety. Uh, you know, I have family members on anxiety medication. Uh, I know that, you know, you've had issues with anxiety and some other issues, right? OCD and things like that. Um, you know, I feel like these are things that you can get through. But a lot of these societal changes don't happen in, you know, 10, 20 years, 50 years. They happen in 200, 300, 500 years, right? Uh, you know, the Roman Empire didn't collapse in a decade, right? I mean, it, maybe it ultimately did, but it took hundreds of years to get there, Right. Um, and, and the same is true now. So, you know, we see a, a resurgence of, of ancient beliefs or any kind of belief that isn't what kind of is, is at the core makeup of our culture here in the U.S., right? And that'll change country to country. Um, 
where you say, okay, well, you think the sky is blue, I think the sky is green, right? And that starts with one person. And then if 10 people believe the sky is green, then people are saying, okay, well, maybe the sky is green, right? So let's let's say it is. And all of a sudden you have a thousand people, a million people saying the sky is green. Now the sky is no longer blue. Now the sky is green, right? Now that's a very rough example. Uh, and again, I don't wanna talk politics, but you see this a lot in politics. Um, and and that's the way our ideas evolve over time. So will we see a resurgence of Nazism? For sure. Uh, like I, this past year, I think has been the most talk about Nazism that I've been privy to since I've been studying it, right? Um, and, and that feels like even you know within this year, maybe, right? And I don't know if people are looking for something to ease their anxiety, right? So they see their current system doesn't work. Let's find a new one that might, and Nazism might be one of them. Uh, maybe people start going to Shinto, uh, or you know, like there's I mean, I have a take on Wicca. why I think that's the case. Uh, I've talked about this yeah, before. Sure. I see a lot of parallels between Gnosticism and simulation theory, and Gnosticism, obviously, in Plato's theory of form so if plato's always relevant or people talking about plato a lot it's bound to come up i mean that word is just mm-hmm. you know gnosis is synonymous with plato and everything so i mean i think that there's that but again the simulation theory i think is more relevant than ever you know that could be one of the front runners for this next thing that everybody believes in right i mean a lot of people already do believe it and there's some scientific evidence that could point that it's inevitable so um yeah, I, I look. Uh, I think that what you're saying makes sense, and you do see these resurgence of ideas and refunneling of ideas and things like that. But I also think that there is some sort of like timeless wisdom in some of these ideas that will always echo mm-hmm. and maybe evolve just slightly. But the the foundation of it is just so solid that it just makes sense to to our core, you know. So. Uh, I think it's a little bit of both of those. Well, I mean, and you're a science guy, right? So I can bring up evolution. Uh, that's how evolution works, right? You don't yeah. get the, the the perfect being just off the bat, right? There's gradual changes over time, uh, and and there's never you know the ultimate version of the species. The species continues to change and and morphs into other species and so on. Uh, it's the same thing with beliefs, right? There's the whole study of mimetics um, that is like really integral to understanding philosophy and as a result religion um you know there's there's a lot of different fields that are tied together um but you know people just i don't know they don't have interest or don't have time or quite honestly just don't care right and it might be a an unconscious don't care uh but but it's definitely a there's a lot of don't care right where they don't want to examine other perspectives uh, because what if again, subconsciously, what if this changes my worldview completely, right? And then you start from scratch. I think that's why you see this a lot in in writers and, and scientists that have been, you know, like Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, oh. He's a great educator. Now, listen, I like Tyson, okay? Don't get me wrong. He's a great educator. Um, he's got a lot of knowledge. Um, do I think, like, he should be the person, you know, being at the center of this, science education movement not really okay i mean uh, I who cringe. that person I, is i don't know i just watched his he did a uh interview with berlin sheldrake on 
that fantastic fun guy movie or documentary oh, oh that was whole, great yeah and the whole time they talked about like psilocybin and in in you know mushrooms and you know mycelium and all sorts of different things um and it just seemed like he was so just wanted to like joke around and throw the easy jokes out there and and um you know merlin was dropping some like serious knowledge about like fungi and like mycelium and stuff like that and it just seemed like look we we have definitely a lot of levity when we discuss these topics but i think that um there's still he has that like echo of like you know how things used to be where some of these things are like mocked kind of a way if that makes sense like mm-hmm. it, it seemed like he was taking it seriously cuz he's doing the interview but he wasn't really in the sense that throwing like you know old cliche jokes about the whole topic out there and it's just it, i think what yeah. you're talking about is stuff like that where he is a good science you know communicator in the sense that he's good at conveying ideas and simplifying things for people to understand and things like that uh, but I think that that's a big problem, actually, is the whole science communicator thing in general. You don't really see too many people stepping up with the actual skills to convey these ideas to people. And I think that's what opens the door for some of these not-so-great ideas, because people are better communicators or better at getting on social media or presenting themselves in a way. Even though their ideas might not be as good, they might have a better communication skill set. And I think that that's what the whole problem is with the science communicator thing. Uh, so, I mean, I think that it goes both ways on that. I think that, yes, would we like to see, you know, I think, for for instance, I think Avi Loeb is a, a great science communicator and somebody mm-hmm. that's great for somebody that like, pushes the boundaries but also is steeped in, uh, you know, deep into these topics and has the credentials and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't, you know... I think a lot of people just push back on the Neil uh, thing because he's also like against aliens and he always wants to debunk things and people don't want things debunked. People want to believe in things. That's just part of our nature. Uh, So I think that that's part of the pushback as well. That's probably a a whole nother topic for a whole separate (laughs) episode, but you're correct. Uh, You know, the, the issue with a lot of the, people that become famous as as ed- science educators um, is that when they give you an answer, the answer has zero meaning, right? Um, so it sounds great because there's a lot of fancy words, there's a lot of concepts, there's a lot of connections between concepts, uh, but ultimately they never give you an answer to any question that's, that's given. Um, it, it, they just kind of give you a long story with a lot of facts um, and it makes it seem true. Um, I don't want to talk about, you know, philosophical fallacies or anything like that. Again, that's probably a whole separate policy, you know, a whole separate episode. Um, but but I do see that a lot with, with those kind of people. Um, and I see the opposite on, on guys that try to, you know, play a little bit of a, a jokester role, right, um, in, in particularly in philosophy. Um, and, and I don't want to mention any names, uh, but there are some guys that I think have very valid points. I don't agree with them. Uh, but I love the the methodology that's used, right, to arrive at the at their answers. Um, here, I'll just I'll give you one. Jordan mm-hmm. Peterson, right? Uh, I don't agree with Peterson in a lot of things, but I love his method um, because he's obviously a very bright guy, right? Um, now, do I feel like he's misguided on some things? Yeah, but like you know, who am I? So who cares, right? Um, and I'll never tell him that. I listen to him all the time, right? Not because I agree, 
but because I want to educate myself on how to express ideas in a way that I feel he does very well. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, wouldn't I'm, be able I'm to not understand. A, a fan, and even the way he talks about like psychedelics and stuff, it's just too. He's too in his own thing that doesn't really relate to anything else that you know anybody else is saying on these topics. Not that it needs to all be cohesive with everybody else, but I just think that he's off on his own trip with all that stuff. So, so you know, some people would listen to him to feel to to know what the argument is. So if they ever get into a debate with Peterson, they would know how to answer. Um, with the problem being that Peterson's a very smart guy, so he would already know this and already have a counter answer for them, right? Um, I, I don't do it for that reason. My thing is, if I disagree with this guy, why do I disagree with him? Um, and is there anything that he can teach me, right? So I, I'm okay with not agreeing with Peterson, but I still want to know the argument because that improves my point of view on life, right? That improves my gnosis. If I understand where you're coming from, because I can't have your experience, right? I'm me, you're Mike, you're Maurice. Uh, so I could never know what it's like to be either one of you, right? And if somehow we had like a Freaky Friday moment and you know Maurice and I jump bodies and now I'm Maurice, yeah. I still wouldn't know what it's like to be Maurice, right? Because now I am Maurice, right? right? I'm no longer Martin experiencing Maurice, now I'm Maurice. Right, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and so this is how you have to do all, all anytime you deal with philosophy. And it sucks, right? Because people just, people want to be right all the time. Yeah, that's, and that's you, all anything if, is. If you just, if you just put that aside. No, that's it, the main so thing. Much simpler, man. Yeah, that's not going to happen anytime. That's just what social media is. It's just people thinking that they're right. Or people, I, you know, what it is too is I think some of these people, nobody's ever really listened to them or they've thought that they've never really been listened to. So they think the internet's their chance to like get their great idea or their take that, but it's, you look at the comments and it's like somebody that thought they had some sort of, you know, epiphany or uh revolutionary take seven other people said the exact same thing, you know, in the comments as well, you know, or on the thread or whatever. So it's like, I think it's partially people thinking that they need to be heard because maybe they either haven't or they think that, you know, it's some Dunning-Kruger thing. They think they have a better take and they really don't. They haven't done any research. They just, it's a cognitive bias. I mean, I've been big on the cognitive biases lately. I've been trying to really be honest with myself. And I think that for me, I have two goals right now. Learn as much as I can about the topics that I'm interested in. And number two, evaluate what I know you know, the epistemological lens of things, uh, incorporating those cognitive biases. And let's see what, what stands up after that. And uh, I feel like if I can learn everything, not everything, you can never learn everything, but if I can know enough about <laughs> what other people think or have written or how they discuss these topics, I can then take it to that next level. I can then be that creative person that comes up with this new sprout off or this branch off or whatever. And I guess that's my goal as a person is to always be as creative and as original as possible. Obviously mm -hmm. most of the things we say have foundations and other things, but again, I think that you can only truly be truly creative if you can transcend what's already known. I know you have a different take. Your take is probably to not know, as much and come up with your own, but you still need those building blocks. Cause if you don't know what epistemology or ontology, or you don't understand how philosophy works or anything like that, you're not even going to know where to begin. So. 
Yeah, no, and it's funny that you brought that up because I actually um, I recorded last night uh, an episode on why I don't meditate anymore. Um, and I think we might have briefly talked about this last time I was on. Um, but that's one of those things, right? Like you need to get to a place in your life um, where you can determine whether the practice is actually useful or not. Um, and I'm not saying that meditation isn't useful, right? Uh, it's extremely useful. I've done it a lot. Uh, just right now, I don't, right? Um, because I, I feel like I can do my meditation all day, every day, right? Mm -hmm. Just like I don't need to sit down and pray uh, and ask God for anything, because if God's all things everywhere, then why would I need to ask God for anything? God already knows, right? Uh, so I can spend my time maybe finding some kind of connection, right? Take like a five-second break. Just close my eyes for a second, right, just to recenter, and that's it, right? I don't need the prayer, right? Do you because think it's like a psychedelic I, I, type thing? Like you, you would treat psychedelics where I, it's like a once-in-a-while experience mm. thing? Because I, even recently I heard Hamilton Morris either wrote something or was talking about how he thinks it's most beneficial if you do it like rarely, maybe like a couple times a year, have a few experiences a year and not like really saturate it, you know, if, if that makes sense. I, th I think... Uh, I don't know if it's quite the same. Uh, what, what I'm saying is I think you can get – and I let me preface by saying I'm not saying I'm an enlightened being because before I get the email. Okay, yeah, get uh, those emails. I'm, I'm not saying I'm so enlightened that I don't need to meditate. What I'm saying is I feel like the best way forward for me is to not make it a practice – uh, but make it a habit, right? Just like I don't think about breathing, I don't need to think about meditation or prayer, right? It just happens always, mm. right? And and that's how you integrate a practice, right? Not just carving out five, 10 minutes a day, but making it part of your everyday routine without even thinking about it. It's always right? there too if you want to have a longer session at some yeah, point. Yeah, you of know, course. You, you just go if back I want to it. spend some time, I will. Uh, and actually, I, I've been wanting to go back and do some more breathwork stuff. Um, I, uh, you know, I hadn't done psychedelics since the beginning of the year, but I, I had a session a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it was fine. I mean, it was a light dose, so nothing mind blowing. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to do it as a preparation because I do want to get back into that. Um, you know, you and I have talked a little bit offline that I want to get to writing this book um, about certain psychedelic rituals. Um, and so that is kind of my way into that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, I'm kind of done thinking about it. I just want to kind of work on it. Um, and so I, I, I do want to get into that, but you know, I, I no longer feel the need to experience that. Um, there was a point in time last year where, you know, I was going every six weeks, five, six weeks, um, on the clock, right? I had it on my schedule. Uh, and I would take if it fell on a weekday that I was going to do it, I took a day off of work and that's what I did that day. Right. Um, now, you know, maybe I don't need that. Um, I just mm. I don't want to feel like I'm experience seeking. Right. Um, I'm right there with you. I, mean, I feel the same way about yeah. both of those things. I haven't done either. I haven't really. Well, I meditated like a few weeks ago, but other than that, like I haven't had any real even psychedelic experiences lately i just haven't had the need for it i feel like you know mm -hmm. what's going on in the world is uh psychedelic enough right now to just you know you don't need well, to look, throw that in the mix there's nothing you know you don't need to bring it on because everything's 
moving at such a rapid pace, I guess. I'm just, it's at this point in my life, I think I feel like I'm with you on that. Like at this point right now, it's not necessary. And obviously both those things will always be there if, you know, you need to go back. So, and so I'll give it to you this way. And I know you guys will know exactly what I'm talking about. If you do like a, a real heavy dose of mushrooms or, you know, acid or anything, um, and you have a great trip, right? Then you have this like afterglow for days or weeks, right? Where like everything's just freaking beautiful, right? And mm-hmm. glowing and just so happy, right? Um, you know, I I had this experience at the beginning of the year through some things that I talked about last time I was on. Um, yeah, I, I haven't told most people the full story, uh, but but it was that same experience, right? But in a mystical sense with no psychedelics. Um, and I feel like even now, you know, what is this, nine months, ten months later, uh, I still feel like this afterglow, right? Nice. So that's why I can I can be so like nonchalant about answering the question about God, right? Which is freaking crazy to me, right? For you know, 10 years or longer, uh, if you ask me the question, I'd tell you to go F yourself, right? Because there's no freaking I'm way, very right? angry. <laughs> and now it's like, of course, like there could be no other way, right? right? And so how can this be so different, right? So the experience to me was so profound that I have that like psychedelic afterglow effect uh, except just on this like religious level. Um, and fortunately, I, I don't feel the need to go around and tell everybody that, you know, I met God, right? Because then people would be like, well, you're a freaking idiot, right? And, well, and fortunately, someone, I know that I would. It be should be more that. like that, anyways. I mean, if you want to discuss it on your podcast or with people, you know, but it's when you become eh. evangelical about that kind of things, that's where it becomes a slippery slope because then you're trying to convey your ideas and this is the right way and there's a wrong way and that's how we got into this mess to begin with well and you know and if everything is god then why would you have to evangelize anything right right because god already knows it's like you need to evangelize anything right uh you know that that's that's (laughs) that's been like uh maybe the number two topic in in emails that i've gotten uh for the show this year uh, and I'd love to get back to emails, and, and maybe I will soon. Um, but it's like, how come you're not doing the podcast every week anymore, right? And there was a period of time where I was doing like twice a week, right? Mm. Uh, and I mean, you know, for me, the answer is is simple and obvious. Uh, and sometimes I'm going to be like, well, I mean, do you not listen to the podcast? Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's obvious why. Um, and I just, I don't feel the need to, right? Um, why should I have to talk if i have nothing to say right right um and you know there's plenty of quotes about silence in in all kinds of uh philosophies and religions do an episode where you just sit there yeah it's like that piano piece the guy opens up the the crickets in the background yeah it's funny that you say that because i almost did like a 40 minute episode where it was just silence right i did an intro and then just silence uh, but oh, thick to, air. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it'd be a little too uh, snobbish. You know what I mean? Well, that's a Grateful uh, Dead thing. They used. To I know. Make... I just read that in this book I'm reading. It's well, beautiful. It's, it's in that documentary Anthem to Beauty, where they're in the recording studio, and Jerry's, or I think it was Phil Lesh. Bob Weir. Actually. Oh, was it Bob Weir? Yeah. He's like, let's go to the desert and record 50 minutes of just no, you know, desert air. And then let's go to this place and record the air there. And then they yeah, use these and as then like blend it together. Yeah, then they use it as like a backing track on their albums. So, 
I love Beautiful. it. Yeah. No, I, I found the code. It's uh, let your speech be better than silence or be silent. Hmm. Uh, Pseudo Dionysus again. He's great. Um, well, let's wrap it up here. Do you want to do like a short Patreon here? If you've got a few. Yeah, minutes. whatever you need, man. Whatever right. you need. Well, let's wrap it up here. If anybody's interested, you can check out Martin's podcast on The Alchemical Mind. At uh, You can find him on Apple Podcasts. You can go to thealchemicalmind.com. All the links are up there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you do do some – you have some episodes where you explain all the stuff that you just talked about and why. You, uh, yeah, you I did a whole while. series of them. If you go on the YouTube – yeah, uh, it's it's been a while. And, actually, I'll, I'll be going back to it because I – by the time this comes out, it'll have already been started. Uh, but I'm doing a series on uh, the New Testament. Uh, and so there's going to be a lot of back and forth with uh, some of the, the Gnostic texts that I didn't go over. Uh, but if you go to the YouTube page, uh, I don't do video, so they're all just audio. Uh, but there is a whole playlist of Gnostic episodes. Mm. Uh, and I go in depth into a lot of the texts. Or you can just go on the podcast and, and find those. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're all labeled like parentheses Gnosticism, uh, so this should be easy to find. Yeah, and we didn't even really get to like the Apocryphon of John or the Gospel of Thomas or anything like that. But maybe we can do that next time you come on. But uh, I'm so, sure you so what we should talked do, about it on your podcast before, though. I'm sure. So what we should do is towards the end of the year, I'm going to be doing a series on Revelations, mm. uh, and uh, we should come back on and. We'll do do all that two. we discussed, yeah. but based on uh, revelations, because yeah. that is one of the most gnostic texts in the Bible. Um, it, that's why nobody knows what any of it means. Yeah, let's do it. Beautiful. Let's do it. So yeah, go check out Martin's podcast, and if you're interested, we are about to do a Patreon episode with Martin, and we've done ones with him in the past. You can go check that out. But uh, go to Patreon.com/slash Podcast for just two dollars a month. You'll get exclusive guest episodes and segments. Again, I just loaded tons of awesome stuff up there. So if you listen to our show and you like it, for just $2 a month, you basically get a whole other show or I guess a bunch of extensions of shows. Uh, you know, Some of them range from 15 minutes. Some of them are an hour long. It just depends. But uh, go check that out. Find us on Discord. Uh, then head on over to indrasweb.org. Uh, sign up for an account. It is live. It is free. Uh, if you want to hypothesize, theorize, speculate, it's the perfect place to do it on all these topics. And if you are interested, here is the Mind Escape t-shirt we are giving away at the end of the month of October. So if you're interested and want to enter to win, all you have to do is leave, a, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, take a screenshot of it, and then email it to mindescapepodcast at gmail.com. Again, one more time, we also have a merch store. I have the link down below. So we've always had a lot of people asking about merch. We've never really done too much other than those shirts that we had for a while. So if you're interested, check out our merch store. There's T-shirts, hoodies, mugs. You know, there's stuff uh, <laughs> Martin's got one on right now. That's the logo <laughs> one. Uh, and there's some other designs on there too. It's not just our logo. You know, we've got a hashtag Let Maurice Speak one with his silhouette uh i created seller i created a comp, i like that one i created a composite image of the portara of naxos called it mind escape portal um what else do we have on there uh we've got a nice psilocybin one called the sandy uh inspired by our top escapee <laughs> sandy um and uh yeah so go check those out but uh yeah we love everybody stay safe out there and uh, we'll catch you next time peace peace peace